1 Timothy chapter 1. 1 Timothy chapter 1. Have you ever had one of those meals that you ate and just a couple of hours later you're already hungry again? Uh, yeah, amen. Yeah. I didn't expect to get an amen on that, but yes. Uh, I, I remember uh, one time going with Sherry to a place that she liked and uh, after we got our order, I said, honey, I think this is a chick place. I said, what, what I've got here is not going to hold me off. And, uh, uh, you know, there, there's something to be said for a substantial meal that uh, helps to satisfy your hunger. Well, the Bible teaches us that God's Word is our spiritual food. And we need that to be nourished, and we need that to be strong in our walk with God. And so Paul here is, is addressing a situation. He's, he's writing to Timothy. He's a young pastor. He's left Timothy in Ephesus uh, to address a problem of teaching false doctrine. And one of the problems with teaching false doctrine is that it doesn't meet the needs of the human heart. You see, God's Word is the spiritual food that nourishes us. And so, uh, Paul says, look, this is not just an issue of right teaching versus wrong teaching. This is actually a spiritual battle. And he said, I want you to understand that Satan has a procedure that he wants the church to follow so that he can keep them from being nourished in the things of God and being strong in their walk with God. And so, Paul is, is giving Timothy instruction about this, and he's describing what Satan's goals are for teaching. Did you know that Satan has goals for teaching? Did you know that not everybody that you can find on the television or even on the radio may be of God? There may be teaching that is coming from the enemy versus coming from the truth. And uh, sometimes people will use the name Christian to describe themselves, and they will be teaching something that is not Christian doctrine. Uh, <clears throat> there was a guy in, in my uh, college that I attended that received an honorary doctorate, and it was a doctor of divinity. And his son, who was working on his Ph.D. at Cambridge, says that the, D, the D.D. stands for didn't do it. And, uh, you know, sometimes you, uh, you have something that you, you look at and it, it's, it's not got substance to it. I'm not saying his degree didn't have substance, but, uh, you know, uh, Satan wants to give us a counterfeit because he wants to destroy us. Jesus said the thief comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy, but God has come. Christ has come that, that we might have life and have it abundantly. So we need to put our trust in the things of God and His Word rather than the substitutes. And the title of my message is Understanding God's Goals, I'm sorry, Understanding Satan's Goals for Teaching. Uh, so look with me at 1 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 3. As I urged you when I went to Macedonia, Remain in Ephesus so that you may instruct certain people not to teach false doctrine or to pay attention to myths and endless genealogies. These promote empty speculations rather than God's plan, which operates by faith. Now, the goal of our instruction is love that comes from a pure heart, 
a good conscience and a sincere faith. Some have departed from these and turned aside to fruitless discussion. They want to be teachers of the law, although they don't understand what they are saying or what they are insisting on. But we know that the law is good, provided one uses it legitimately. We know that the law is not meant for a righteous person, but for the lawless and rebellious, for the ungodly and sinful, for the unholy and irreverent, for those who kill their fathers and mothers, for murderers, for the sexually immoral and homosexuals, for slave traders, liars, perjurers, and for whatever else is contrary to the sound teaching that conforms to the gospel concerning the glory of the blessed God which was entrusted to me. Understanding Satan's goals for teaching. What are Satan's goals? Well, first of all, I want you to see Satan wants us to have a diversion from the truth. He wants us to have a diversion from the truth. They were teaching false doctrine, verse 3 says. Literally, the the Greek word means teaching something else. (laughs) They were taking a substitute for God's word, and they were teaching something else. You see that sometimes in churches today. There's teaching of psychology or teaching of science or teaching of whatever other kind of thing, but not teaching of the Word of God. There's substitutes for those things, but Satan's substitutes are actually intended to divert us away from the truth, to cause us to misunderstand the truth. There's a lot of people out there that misunderstand the truth. Well, how do you understand the truth? Well, first of all, understand that God has an intention for everything he includes in his word. And God has given us that intention within a context. Um, I, I sometimes would have cult leaders come to my doors and, and, uh, and would try to, to talk to me about different things and convince me of their way of looking at things. And they would say, This verse says this, and then they would want to move on and say, hang on a second. That's not what that verse means. The context says this, so that verse has to mean this, not what you're saying. Well, just be patient with us. Just listen to us. Hear us out. I said, well, no. I said, I'm not going to hear you out if if the basis of your argument's not right. And so I would go through that and and, uh, try to... Uh, communicate to them uh, and, and uh, share with them what the truth was. Um, I finally kind of got frustrated with it all. And uh, uh, I remember one day this lady came up and she had a car full, she was a Jehovah's Witness, and she had a car full of, of people with her. And she came up into my driveway and she said, uh, Hey, we, we wanted to talk to you. And I, I said, Well, I said, Are you Jehovah's Witnesses? Because they've been to my door several times and I said I said I said there's really no point in us talking I said uh, I said you know I disagree with some some of the basic things that you believe and uh, so uh, there's not much point in talking she said well what things are those and I said well I said uh, well number one I said you don't believe that Jesus is fully God and uh, she she said well that's right we we believe he's uh Michael the Archangel and so forth, and, and you know, we talked a little bit about that. And I said, well, the Bible says that, uh, that all the fullness of deity dwells in him bodily. And uh, 
she said, well, that's not what it means in the Greek. What she didn't know was that I was actually working in my master's degree right that, at that time, and about half of it was Greek. And so I said, well, let me tell you what the Greek says. And so I went and began to tell her what the Greek means and how it shows that Jesus, in fact, is fully God. She put her car into reverse, and she peeled out of my driveway. I guess I was poisoning the, uh, the rest in the car. I don't know, but... Uh, Diversion from the truth. That's what Satan's goal is. And I want to tell you something. Be very careful with anybody who tries to tell you Jesus is something other than what the Bible says. That is a diversion from the enemy. Sometimes Satan will try to divert us from the truth uh, by people who try to deny that the Bible is reliable. If you talk to a Muslim... Uh, chances are they will say, well, your Bible, your New Testament has errors in it. If you talk to an atheist, there's a, there's a, a particular atheist I have in mind who's written a book that uh, at some colleges is required reading, and I've made my way about three-fourths of the way through his book uh, because I thought they might require my kids to read it, and I wanted to be prepared. <laughs> but... Uh, but that is one of Satan's strategies. Let me tell you, I don't have time to get into it too much in detail, but let me just tell you this. I've been reading the Greek New Testament my whole ministry. I've been pastoring for 20 years. We have a reliable text of Scripture. Um, <clears throat> we had, there's over 5,800 Greek manuscripts of the New Testament. Uh, there's over 25,000 thousand manuscripts by the way they're finding them they're finding new ones that's a that's one that's that's a, a total that's several years old they've actually got some organizations that are going around the world finding uh, manuscripts of the bible god has put manuscripts in different countries in different geographical regions and guess what they all witness to the truth of what that original new testament said the new testament is the most documented ancient book of history by far there's no other book like it in terms of historical support. Uh, there's archaeologists. Uh, there's an archaeologist that actually used the New Testament uh, as a way of finding archaeological digs because of the, the accuracy of what it said about the different places and so forth. So uh, there's a lot of reasons. Fulfilled prophecy is another great reason to believe in the text of Scripture. Uh, there are so many fulfilled prophecies that have already been fulfilled in history uh, some of them about Jesus' birth. Eight prophecies Josh McDowell gives in his book, Evidence That Demands a Verdict. He says eight prophecies. If these eight prophecies were fulfilled in the life of Jesus, what are the chances of these eight prophecies being fulfilled in one person? And he had a mathematician do a study on it. And he comes to the conclusion of ten to the hundreds of powers. Okay, He said basically... It is, it is like filling the whole state of Texas two feet deep with silver dollars, painting one green and flying over it with a helicopter and just tossing it out somewhere over the state of Texas. Having somebody bring you up to the state line of Texas and blindfold you and having you walk into the state of Texas and the chances of you picking up that painted silver dollar the first time are the chances that those eight prophecies would be fulfilled in one person, but that has happened in history, and his name is Jesus Christ. 
Satan wants to divert us from the truth. Don't be diverted from the truth. Listen, it's great to read books about the Bible. It's great to read Christian books. I, I, I love uh, to read, and, and that's one of my, my passions. But I want to tell you something. Uh, there is no book like this book. This book is the inspired word of God. Uh, let this book inform your life. Let this book determine your path. Uh, let this book counsel you when you're making decisions. And let this book uh, correct your thinking and, and point you in the path of righteousness. Satan will do everything he can to try to divert you from the truth because he knows the potential of it. What did Jesus say? You shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. I want to tell you something. God's word is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. It guides us in the things of God and it satisfies and feeds our souls. Um, diversion from the truth is Satan's goal for teaching. Secondly, Satan's goal is disputes within the body. In other words, the body of believers, the church. Disputes. Now, if you look at verse 4, it says, Or pay attention to myths or endless genealogies. That, um, apparently, they were making up stories about uh, uh, individuals within the genealogies of the Old Testament and focusing on that. And so they were, all their time was spent in doing that. But, uh, but then look on. He says, These promote empty speculations. Now, the phrase empty speculations translates a Greek word that is only found one time in the New Testament. Uh, it can also be translated disputes. It's, there's a sister word that's used. It's often translated disputes or controversies. I believe that's what the meaning of this word is, uh, as well as the empty speculations. But the disputes, the idea of conflict and dissension in the church. Have you ever known someone who promotes a teaching and does so in a way that causes division in the church. Listen, watch out for that. Satan wants to cause division in the church. And one of the ways he will do that is through people arguing about false doctrine. Uh, now, we are told in Jude that we're to contend for the faith that was once for all entrusted to the saints. We don't let the false teachers take over. But uh, recognize that these, uh, these disputes are one of Satan's goals. Uh, what did Paul tell Timothy? He said, he said, look, if somebody has been misled, they misunderstand the truth, they have been diverted from it, uh, he says, I want you to understand, if you're to bring them back, you need to speak the truth gently. And perhaps God will grant them repentance and, and will lead them back into the right path. Uh, so teach them gently. So the, the answer to false teaching is preaching the truth. And as you preach the truth in love, God, there's power in God's word. One of the things about the truth, it has this stubborn way of just coming to the surface as you focus on God's word. And so Satan wants us to uh, have disputes within the body. Now, if somebody tries to corner you, I actually had this happen uh, recently uh, with some of my family members. They, they had a, a person in an extended family and so forth 
that was, uh, that was, was cornering people in their family meetings and saying, hey, you need to believe this. And, and you know, and uh, uh, my family member was telling me, uh, she said, you need to be open-minded to this. And, and, and if, you're not, if you're not listening to me, you're not open-minded. And uh, I said, so no one who disagrees with her is open-minded. And uh, she said, I'm going to remember that one. <laughs> but uh, but uh, she, they were having this very thing, and it was bringing stress, and it was bringing discord into their family life because there was somebody who'd come up with some crazy ideas that they found on the Internet and was trying to convince everybody else in the family of it, and it caused discord. Listen. Satan wants to cause discord in the body. Why? Because if we're upset and angry with each other, we're quenching the Spirit of God. And if we're quenching the Spirit of God, we're hindering the work of God in the church, and we're hindering the work of winning souls. I have pastored a church embroiled in a fight before. And can I tell you something? Nobody is focused on reaching the lost when they're fighting with each other. Satan wants disputes within the body. So be aware of that. Um, you can be calm and speak the truth in love. And, uh, and you, you may even have to say, we disagree. We're going to have to agree to disagree. And uh, I don't want to talk about this anymore. And you may just have to walk out of the room. You know, if somebody's not, some people are unwilling to take no for an answer. Uh, but rather than fighting with them and getting upset, if you, if you hear the voices rising. By the way, I learned this in seminary. Because we would argue about stuff around the tables in the, in the lunchroom. And uh, you know what I found? Whenever anybody gets emotionally defensive, it doesn't matter what you say. You're not going to convince them. So back off. Give it some space. Uh, pray. And uh, ask God to work in that person's life. And then uh, uh, continue. If you're a teacher in Sunday school, if you're, if you're a preacher of God's word, keep on preaching and teaching the truth of God's word. So important. So, um, disputes within the body. That's the second goal Satan has. So first of all, diversion from the truth. Secondly, disputes within the body. Thirdly, talk without substance. Look at verse uh, 6. Some have departed from these. Uh, he's talking about the goals we talked about last week. The goal of our instruction is love from a pure heart, good conscience, sincere faith. Some have departed from these and turned aside to fruitless discussion. Uh, the word in Greek literally means empty talking. In other words, this is discussion about something that does nobody any good. If you win the argument, it doesn't matter. If you lose the argument, it doesn't matter. It's just empty discussion. It doesn't matter. It's, it's like, okay, uh, what happened in uh, this, uh, this individual in this genealogy back here in the Old Testament? Uh, we believe that uh, we've seen some evidence here that maybe this person did this and did that and and we're going to convince you of it. And, and we're speculating that he probably did this too. And you better accept that. Who cares? It doesn't make a difference. If he did that, it doesn't make a difference. If he didn't, it doesn't make a difference. The Bible isn't emphasizing it. Why should we? It's empty discussion. 
uh, every now and then I'll have somebody ask me, where did Cain get his wife? Guess what? We may be interested in those things. I know one thing. I know it came from, his wife came from Adam and Eve because Adam and Eve were the first two. <laughs> Aside from that, I don't know. And frankly, I don't care. It doesn't matter. The Bible includes certain details because they're important, and it omits certain details because it's unimportant. The point of the Bible will be given clearly in the text of Scripture. And so uh, don't worry about the stuff that God doesn't tell us about. Worry about the main point of Scripture. And so... Um, empty talking. He wants us to be talking about nothing because if we're talking about nothing, we're not talking about God's Word, right? We're not, if we're talking about these, these things that really don't have anything to do with the point of Scripture, we're missing the truth that God is intending to communicate to us. And so again, it's another diversion from the truth, but it is also talk without substance. Uh, Somebody once said, well, I'm a premillennialist. Well, I'm a postmillennialist. Well, I'm an amillennialist. One guy said, well, I'm a panamillennialist. I believe it'll all pan out in the end. Uh, you know, the, the truth is that probably all of us are wrong about something in the end times. Okay? I mean, it's just the facts. Relax about these issues. If you disagree with a brother or sister in Christ, that's Okay. Uh, but uh, don't make a huge issue of it. Sometimes we're talking about something that uh, really doesn't make a whole lot of difference as far as the main point that God's trying to get across. And so, uh, talk without substance, arguing about secondary things. By the way, did you know that Baptists aren't going to be the only people in heaven? It's true. Uh, I believe they'll be, if, if they believe that Jesus died on the cross for their sin and rose again, and they have repented of their sin, put their trust in Jesus Christ, they can be Baptist, they can be Methodist, they can be Presbyterian, they can be Pentecostal. Listen, I'm going to tell you something. There's going to be people from all of those denominations. I believe in heaven. As long as they believe those central truths of, of the faith. Now, now, I'm Baptist for a reason. There, I believe... I believe there's some, some great things about being a Baptist, and I'm not, I'm not denigrating that. But all I'm saying is we need to have enough, uh, enough laid-backness to our faith to recognize that God can save people outside of our experience, and some people may hold different opinions than we do on secondary issues, and that's okay. Um, the kingdom of God has not been thwarted yet by difference of opinion on secondary issues. And so, um, uh, I, as I say, I'm Baptist for a reason, but uh, don't get so hung up on the secondary issues that you don't focus on the truth of what God is saying in His Word. Empty talk. Fruitless discussion is one of Satan's goals. So, understanding Satan's goals for teaching, what are they? Diversion from the truth, disputes within the body, talk without substance, and finally, confidence without understanding. I, I kind of get amused by this one. Uh, look at verse 7. They want to be teachers of the law, although they don't understand what they are saying. 
or what they're insisting on, what they're so confidently proclaiming, they don't even know what they're talking about. Confidence without understanding. Uh, one of my favorite uh, Christmas movies is uh, White Christmas. And there's a point at which uh, the, one of the characters in the, in the movie says, uh, one thing I learned in the army, uh, be confident in what you say even when you don't know what you're talking about. And, uh, you know, a lot of times people are that way. They're confident about what they're saying. But listen, I want to tell you something. When somebody is trying to teach spiritual truth, sometimes they may seem very confident, but just because they're confident doesn't mean they're right. Be aware that sometimes Satan will come as an angel of light, will come as somebody who's confident and maybe even persuasive, but tested against the Word of God. They're, they're confident. They're, they're speaking these things confidently. They're, they're acting like, hey, we know what we're talking about. You need to get on board. Everybody that doesn't agree with me is foolish. I had a, sadly, sadly, uh, not at this church. Praise God, I've got great deacons at this church. I love my deacons. Uh, thank you, God, for my deacons. Uh, but at one church I pastored, I had a deacon one time come up to me. I'd been preaching on the, the Exodus, and he said, you don't really believe that Moses led two million people through the wilderness, do you? You don't think that's possible, do you? you you're not that foolish, are you? I said, absolutely, I do believe it. And... Uh, I found, I, I recently, I, not at that particular time, but I found something a short time later that uh, was written in Kyle Dalich, and they had actually said, there's actually, oh, he, t- he also told me, he said he didn't believe two million people could live in Israel. Uh, and there are actually more people than that that lived in ancient Israel and uh, that live in Israel today. But uh, anyway, uh, he, he, was, he was confident in what he believed, but I'm going to tell you something, he was dead wrong. I believe that we have a supernatural God. And by the way, if I didn't believe that, if I didn't believe Jesus rose from the dead, I wouldn't waste my time with coming to church. But if Jesus did rise from the dead, and by the way, there's all kinds of historical evidence that he did. If Jesus did rise from the dead, what miracle should we consider impossible? So, beware of those who are confident without understanding. And by the way, let me just say this. Sometimes uh, <laughs> I had, had somebody was sharing with me one time that uh, they had a man who was, who was uh, teaching them uh, liberal doctrine. In other words, a doc- doctrine he didn't believe in the Bible and so forth. And he was using, he would come with a big stack of commentaries. He'd sit them on the pulpit and he would uh, use these commentaries to support what he's saying. He's a smart guy. He's, you know, using big words. And boy, well, he's kind of impressive. He was confident, but he didn't understand. Can I tell you something? You don't have to know Greek to understand the basic message of the Bible or Hebrew, either one. You can understand. The one of the great things about God's Word is, is it is simple enough that a child can be saved and yet complex enough that a theologian can study it his whole life and still not get to the bottom of it. 
right? The clear message of God's word, the basic message of God's word, you don't have to understand. Let me just tell you, you don't have to. There's some people that act like you do, but you don't have to. Somebody did the translation work for you. Praise God. Uh, be aware of the fact that you can use your own brain to evaluate what's being said, and you should. In the Acts, the Bible says that uh, the Bereans were more noble than the Thessalonians because they actually checked out what Paul was saying with the Word of God. That's what you ought to do. Just because somebody's confident or just because somebody presents it well doesn't mean that they're right. You can be led astray. Uh, I was watching, talking about confident, I was watching a, a televangelist one time. I occasionally I'll turn them on. I can only stomach some of them for about five minutes and I have to turn the channel. But occasionally I want to see what they're saying just so that I kind of know what's being said because I know sometimes people watch them in my church and I want to know what, what's being said. And so... I was watching this guy, and he said this. He said, he said, Jesus and Paul could have learned something from me. He said, they didn't have faith because the Son of Man didn't have a place to lay his head. And Paul went without some needs. He said, but I have great faith. I, I, I'm wealthy. They could have learned from me. I want to tell you, that's the height of arrogance. And the height of stupidity. Because Jesus is the omniscient son of God. He knows all things. He's, he's, he's not limited to what a, a mere human being will say. Uh, just because you're confident doesn't mean you're teaching the truth. Uh, by the way, Jesus was wealthier than that particular televangelist. You know how I know? Jesus said, but rejoice and be exceeding glad when you're persecuted. When men revile you, persecute you, say all manner of evil against you, falsely for my sake, for great is your reward in heaven. What's the Bible say? In Philippians, Jesus left the throne of glory, became obedient unto death, even death on a cross. And God has highly exalted him and given him a name above every other name that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that he's Lord. And can I tell you something? Jesus one day is going to be ruler over everything. All the world is going to bow their knee. Jesus will. He owns it all. <laughs> but he humbled himself and became obedient unto death. Beware of those who have confidence without understanding. Listen, Satan wants to divert you from the truth, but what is God's goal? God's goal is that you know his word so that you can have love that comes from a pure heart, a good conscience, and a sincere faith. Those are God's goals for, for uh, what he wants to do in your life through his word. Understand God's goals and follow and pray for God's goals, but then also understand Satan's goals because Satan's goals, uh, you can find them everywhere. There are people everywhere trying to accomplish these goals uh, and, um, and be aware of them so that you can have discernment and come to the Word of God and read it in context. There's a context of the individual passage, maybe the chapter or a couple of chapters. There's the context of the Bible book. 
and what it's saying. There's the context of the Bible as a whole, what the Bible as a whole says. And can I tell you, one of the most amazing things about this book is that it's a unity. It's written on multiple continents, spanning thousands of years, different human authors. There's a divine author through the whole thing. Uh, that's the Lord. Uh, but, but it is unified. How, does it, how in the world could such a project be unified without the supernatural work of God? It, this is, is not just the words of human beings. This is the words of God. And uh, so, so come to God's word and bounce everything off of his word. And by the way, obviously... You can't uncover every question that you ever encounter uh, in your quiet time with God or you'd be spending all your time tracing down questions. But what can you do? You can be in this book regularly. You can spend each day. We're blessed. I mean, in some parts of the world, they can't read. The only word of God they get is what they hear uh, in church. But we're blessed. We have the word of God. Be in the word of God every single day. Uh, spend time in his word and what you'll do is you'll grow in your understanding of his word and and you'll find that you are no longer as Paul says in Ephesians blown about by every wind of doctrine but you will find that that God has solidified you in your faith and that you're stable in your Christian walk because you know the truth and what you'll find is not only will you be stable and protected from false doctrine but you'll also begin to find that as you follow God's word, he sets you free. As you follow God's word, uh, you, you begin to see the benefits of that over time. And, and you begin to see God working in your life and changing you. Changing your family as you share the word of God. Changing our church as we focus on the word of God and listen to it with an o- obedient, willing heart. Uh, God will change us into the likeness of his son. And then he'll use us effectively for his glory. There's great power in the word of God. Jeremiah said, Lord, is not your word like a hammer that breaks rocks in pieces? I love that. Uh, he's, he's, he's got these false teachers over here. He says, their stuff is like straw. But yours is like a hammer that breaks rocks in pieces. There's a power in it, God. There's a power to change things. There's a power to change hearts. There's a power to set people on a new path. The power of God's word. All scripture is God-breathed and is profitable for doctrine, reproof, correction, instruction, and righteousness. That the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the counsel that you've given us to help us understand the strategies of the enemy and how he tries to divert us from your truth. Lord, help him not to win in a single person's life here in this building today or in our church. But God, I pray that we would be devoted to the truth.